So if you were here the last few weeks, we mentioned and acknowledged that I have been in Olympia pastoring this church now for 15 years. And these, these last few weeks for me, kind of realizing that and having that hit me, uh, I've gotten nostalgic uh, these last few weeks. And it made me think back to my day of ordination as a pastor, which is now many, many years ago, when I was a youth pastor at my prior church in Vancouver, Washington. And because I was so young and inexperienced with my first pastoral job as a youth pastor, they decided to license me for the first year uh, before they would officially ordain me to be a, quote, real pastor. Um, And so, Thinking back to that process, my my ordination process was about as underwhelming as possible. So in church world, there's like high church, like formal, lots of rules and regulations and formalities and traditions, and then there's low church that's really laid back and casual, and then there's like even lower church, which I experienced uh, in my process of becoming a pastor at that church. So here's how that happened, is one day, Again, after a year of being on staff at the church, I got called into the office of the administrative pastor. His name was Bob. Bob told me to have a seat. I didn't know why I was in his office that day. I thought maybe I was in trouble. Um, So he called me in, he told me to have a seat. He looked me in the eye, and he, he passed a piece of paper across the table to me. It was my certificate of ordination. And he did a little finger cross, mainly in jest, and he goes, you're ordained. You can go now. And so like, here I am, I was 23 years old. I didn't know, I didn't know how that was supposed to work. I didn't know how pastors got ordained. I'd heard stories of a lot more formality than that, but he sat me down, he looked me in the eye, he slid the piece of paper across the desk, he gave me the finger cross and says, you're ordained, and then I went back to work. Thanks. I was only 23. I didn't know what they were supposed to do. But I left that day and I left that experience feeling something. Here's what I felt. I felt like I was missing something. I was a youth pastor, college pastor, young adult pastor for about 10 years at that church. And I always carried a little bit of a sense that I was missing something. You see, in that ordination ceremony, or lack thereof, I will say, there was a chance in that moment for those pastors to affirm me, to encourage me, to pray for me, novel thought, pray for me, bless me, call out in me the things that they saw God at work in my life. All those things were were latent in possibility in that day and in that moment. And instead I got a certificate across the desk and a finger cross. And I've been a pastor now about 25 years. And I still at times feel that moment, that missed opportunity. There are times like, I feel like I'm missing something. And I know that's not just a pastor thing because I talk to people. And I've talked to dads that feel that same feeling 
Like, I feel like I'm missing something. And I talk to moms that feel the same thing. Parents, husbands, wives that feel like, I, think, I feel like I'm missing something. I'm supposed to be a dad or a mom or a husband or a wife or a parent or I've been given a task to do, but I don't feel like I have everything that I need to carry that out. I've talked to young people who feel it. I've talked to old people who feel it. I've talked to men who feel it and women who feel it. The sense, this kind of nagging sense of, uh, maybe I'm missing something here. How about you? Have you ever felt that before? One of the greatest gifts given to the next generation is something called a blessing. A blessing. Not something you say when you sneeze. Not something that you say before you eat a meal. But a verbal gift that you offer to another. In ancient cultures, blessings were spoken from a father to a child. And these blessings, these, these words spoken as a gift often change the course of history. So that's what I want to explore today is this topic of blessing. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open up to Genesis chapter 27. For the last few months, while stretching back through at various times in the year, we've been in this series, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we've been tracking the story of these men and women of faith, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, now Jacob and Esau, and as they will get married and have kids of their own. What does it look like to be these men and women of faith and learn from their stories too? So today we're going to talk about a blessing, a father's blessing, a son's attempt to secure the blessing by any means possible. And in doing so, we discover just the power, the purpose of of blessing in our lives. So here's Genesis 27, verse 1. The author tells us, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So the story opens up with this desire of parental blessing. Isaac, the father, at this point in the story, he's old. Again, we don't get a whole lot of Isaac's life, but now he's gone from being the promised son to the one offered on the altar to now he's the one who's old. He's dying. He's preparing for death. And so he calls his oldest son, Esau, and he tells him to go hunting, he says, I want you to go, go get me some food, prepare a meal, and as you prepare the meal, then I'll give you my blessing. Now, again, before we go any further, uh, I just want to make sure we understand or talk in the same language here. When I say blessing, what do I mean? What is this blessing all about? Oftentimes in American culture, when we talk about blessing, we equate blessing with material things. 
It's like, oh, I'm so blessed. And when we say I'm so blessed, we think I have a, a house or I have a car or I have a job or I have, I have these things. We often tie blessing to material things. And those things are for sure blessings. But in the ancient world, in the biblical world, blessing was less about material things and more about relational things. So now, as a father spoke to a son, spoke to their child, they spoke these words that had more to do with relationship, about affirmation, about approval, spiritual promise. That's why multiple stories, Old Testament and New Testament, center around this idea that one of the things that you would seek the most from your parents and from your father is that of a blessing. Here's a working definition of blessing. I came across as I was preparing for today that blessing is God's primary mechanism of imparting identity and destiny deep into the heart of another person. Right? It's this verbal action where you actually can impart identity and destiny deep into the heart of the person. And here are the two questions at stake here. Next slide. Blessing answers these questions. Who am I? right? Identity question. And why am I here? Right? These are questions that every human being, whether you're kind of aware of it or not, wrestle. Who am I? Why am I here? And blessing helps answer some of those questions for the next generation. So here in this story, we've got these brothers twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. And we've tracked their story a little bit. We saw that when they were in the womb, they were fighting, wrestling, struggling, so much so that Rebecca was like, what is happening inside of me, God? And then as they come out of the womb and they're born, Jacob and Esau are found in tension. So Esau comes out first. He's the oldest. His name means red. He's hairy. Jacob comes out next. He's grabbing onto the heel of his brother. His name means trickster, deceiver, supplanter, as one author, Frederick Beekner, calls them. Heels and hairy. Heel grabber and the hairy one, Jacob and Esau. And then they are always at odds through their years of growing up. Last week we talked about the story where Esau sells his birthright. He's so hungry, he's famished. He wants the red, red, and in a moment of desire and weakness, he sells his birthright to his brother. Here's where the story then picks up, verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, heels, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves, and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. 
But his mother said to him, let your, cur- let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Now again, I won't belabor all the points of this conversation and how this story plays out. But Rebecca, again, the mom, she is the one who has set her love and affection on Jacob, her son. She hatches this plan. She says, go get the food and then I'll make it and I'll, I'll create the scenario in such a way that we can bring it to your dad and we'll fool him. We will deceitfully intercept the blessing. And Jacob, again, immediately knows the flaw in the plan, right? As we read it here, he's like, uh, my brother is hairy. He is really, really hairy. And uh, Jacob is more like myself. I can't grow a beard to save my life. I grew a really nice neck beard right about here. But that's about it. And Jacob says, again, we can get the food, and it can smell right and seem right and look right, but I guarantee the moment I bring up before Dad, all he has to do is feel my arms, feel my face, and he'll know. He'll know who I am. It's not going to work. She says, trust me. I'll take your curse. This is going to work. Mommy's got a plan for that too. Verse 14. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Uh, Again, you read the story, and you're like, this is crazy. First thing, how hairy does Esau have to be (laughs) that putting goat skins on is a good approximation? Like, that dude was hairy. All right, I just can't get that out of my mind. I'm like, man, that's unbelievable. Here's the plan. Rebecca's confident. I'm going to trick him. Cook the food. The clothes will smell right. The goat hairs will cover up the smooth skin. You can picture the elaborate scene. And again, almost comical. Almost comical to watch Jacob walk in that moment, carrying the food that his mom's prepared, wearing his brother's clothes that don't fit him, wearing goat skins. You've heard the phrase, not being comfortable in your own skin. This is a whole different kind of picture here. He's trying to be what he's not. He isn't sure who he is. He isn't sure what he exists for. And the questions of identity and destiny are very much up in the air for Jacob. But you know what? It works. Right? It works. Verse 18. So he went to his father and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? First lie. He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to, his, to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, the voice? That's eh, Jacob's voice, 
but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. You hear, you hear the tension points in the story, and his dad's a little suspicious. He's like, you don't sound right, but let me feel your hands. Like, yeah, that's it. Are you really my son? Yes, I am. Who are you? I'm Esau. Like this compounding lie after lie and deceit after deceit. Trickery. The voice is off, but the hands match. And so he goes ahead and he blesses him. Father, blessing his son. Here's how the blessing goes down. Verse 26. And his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And with that, he blesses his son. In the Jewish world, the father's blessing involved the formal delegation of leadership to the oldest son. And in this family, again, this is not just any ordinary family, this is the family line of Isaac and Abraham and the words of promise spoken to Abraham that through their family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. This is a crazy promise and a crazy blessing that's being passed down to the next generation. I want you to pay attention to three components of this particular blessing. First part of this blessing. Go to the next slide. Physical touch. Physical touch. Isaac grabs his son and brings him close. Now, again, he doesn't exactly know who he is, but he brings him close. And he brings him near, and he kisses him. There's physicality to this. He brings him near. He smells him. Which you like, that's just weird. I do that to my kids all the time. You could blindfold me and set all three, this was true when they were babies, toddlers, and teenagers. You could put each of my kids in front of me and I could smell the top of their head and I could tell you which, my kid, which kid it is. Kayla smells different than Kelsey and Kelsey smells different than Logan. And they all smell pretty good, just so you know. <laughs> and they have to endure this in sermon form. But I love to bring my kids close. And there's a physicality to this. My guess is, reading the biblical story, Jacob did not get much of that from his dad. Esau did. His dad loved Esau. Isaac loved Esau. He loved the smell of Esau. It was the smell of a hunter and the smell of game and the smell of the food that he loved. Jacob stayed in the tents with his mom. But now Jacob is brought close and there's physicality to this and there's touch to it. Also, meaningful words spoken. As he smells him, he's like, ah, that's the, he's smelling the cloak, the clothes. 
the food. That's the smell of my son. But he singles out the things that his son does well and he affirms those things and he values those things and he says, I as your father bless you. I name these things that are true of you and true for you. Physical touch, meaningful words spoken, and then a picture of a meaningful future. And he talks about God blessing him with the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the wine and the grain, people serving him, blessing and curses against other people, which again, all that language should ring a bell from the Abrahamic promise of his grandfather. There's something that's happening here in this moment. Physical touch, meaningful words being spoken, promises given about what lies ahead. It's a picture of a father's blessing that is powerful, beautiful, valuable. And I would say in our culture, it doesn't happen a lot. And it leaves... Lots of people searching, seeking, wondering, questioning, like, who am I? Why am I here? What am I to give my life toward? And I would say, apart from having this kind of blessing spoken over our lives, it begins to bleed out in a variety of ways. It, it, it ripples out in a variety of ways. Everyone in the story knows the power of a blessing. Rebecca knows the power of a blessing. Jacob is willing to lie to get the blessing. And then there's poor Esau. He's already sold his birthright. His dad says, before I die, I want to bless you. Go get some some game, bring it back, and then I'll bless you. Esau is gone while this whole thing goes down. Esau comes back. I did it. I got some stuff. I'm ready for the blessing. He comes back. He's like, wait a minute. What just happened here? Verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. He's like, blessing is happening right here. Here we go. His father Isaac said to him, well, who are you? Not exactly what he wanted to hear. Wait a minute. You just left. Who are you? He's like, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I blessed him. And yes, he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and he said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I've made him lord over you and all his brothers I've given to him for servants. And with grain and wine, I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. 
And there's that cry of Esau, bless me too. What about me? You only got one of these? How about making an exception? Can you give me, give me something, dad? And again, there's something in that that is sad and broken, and there's this deception that weaves through all of it, but I think that cry of Esau becomes the cry of every man, woman, boy, and girl. It's like, bless me. Would you bless me? I need, I need to know who I am. I need to know why I'm existing, what I'm for. I need, Father, I need your blessing. Now, again, we don't have language for this. We don't know this. We don't ask for it. We don't talk about it. We just do our thing. And we think that our growing up years is all about just getting the skills to us to go to get a job and go on with our own lives. But in the heart of every human being is, are these questions and this cry, bless me too. Bless me, my Father. I think we all crave some sense of healthy physical touch. Some more than others, yes. But we all crave physical presence. We crave words of affirmation that call out something deep within us. We all want to know, are you proud of me? Are you validating something in me? Do you ha- is there a meaningful future for my life? Why am I even here? Is this just a cosmic accident, or is there destiny in my life as it pertains to the kingdom of heaven? Here's what a lot of kids hear. You're stupid. You're not enough. You're ugly. You mess things up all the time. You can't get it right. You're annoying. Get away from me. You'll never amount to anything in life. And those words stick. And those words cut. Again, blessing is this primary mechanism that imparts identity and destiny into the heart of a human being. It's this gift that says you matter. It's this gift that says you are something. You are wanted. You will do great things. So here's what it looks like then in our lives if we don't have those things. Like, well, I know. I'll find identity and destiny through my job. If I just get a a good enough job and make enough money, then maybe I'll have a sense of identity and destiny. And that's a treadmill we can hop on. Many try and prove it through money. I'll earn so much that you'll have to see that I'm a success. Some try and prove it through religion, even. Church. I'll just do enough good things. I'll show up and serve and do ministry in the name of God, and maybe somehow I'll find an identity and destiny through my pleasing of God in that way. Some seek it through relationships. They seek that physical touch and they throw their bodies at others in a sense to somehow have it make sense. Underneath it all is this cry, would you bless me, Father? A couple quotes as we end. Simone Weil It says, pain and suffering are a kind of currency passed from hand to hand until they reach someone who receives them but does not pass them on. 
or we mentioned this last week, whatever pain is not transformed is transferred to others. Are you aware of your own story of blessing? Are you aware of how your family, your father, your mother, your siblings plays into your story and your pursuit? So what do we do with this as we end today? What do we do with this longing and desire and then lack that we often experience? Let me provide uh, maybe some good news for us. To those who are struggling for identity and destiny, to those who maybe never had a father who blessed them, it's many in the room today, someone who didn't give physical touch or words of affirmation or paint a picture of a meaningful destiny to the next generation. I just want you to read the opening lines from Ephesians chapter 1. This is, again, many years later in the story after the coming of Jesus. Paul the Apostle writes in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Do you have that picture of God as a Father through Jesus who has blessed us? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you've been around church, you've probably heard this verse before. You're like, yeah, 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 that's Ephesians 1. Yeah. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And blah, 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 wah, 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 wah. He's blessed us. The Father has blessed us in Christ. If you're in faith, if you are in Christ by faith, you are blessed. If you've confessed your sins to Jesus and said yes to him in faith, and Paul says you are in Christ, and in Christ by the Holy Spirit, you are blessed. In Jesus, you are blessed. The Father offers his blessing to you. And it's past tense. He has blessed us. Not if you get your act together, not if you go to church X amount of times, or if you earn a certain income, or get a certain job, or live a certain life, or get your life together morality-wise. It's not an if thing. It's in Christ you've been blessed. The Father offers his blessing to you today. Here's how that works. You and I have maybe failed to receive a blessing from our earthly fathers because of their sin. And we have failed to receive the blessing of our Heavenly Father because of our sin. But there is one man, the God-man, Jesus, who has secured blessing for all of us. I'm going to tease this out and belabor this point. Look at Luke chapter 3. Luke 3, 21, this is the day of Jesus' baptism. I want you to see what's happening here. It says, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him, on Jesus, in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. It's interesting, in this moment, like, what's, up with the, what's up with the heavens opening and the, the dove, like a dove, and the spirit descending like a dove? It's as though the Father is coming and saying, I am going to rest upon you. This is a, an act of touch, of the presence of God coming upon Jesus. This is the meaningful touch of the Father on his son Jesus at his baptism. 
meaningful touch. And then there's this meaningful word spoken. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Words of affirmation spoken over the life of Jesus. I'm pleased with you. I love you. You are beloved. And then there's this other, some translations include it. At the very end, some manuscripts add, today I have begotten you. Like, what is that about? It's a quote from Psalm 2, and I won't bore you with all the Psalm 2 details, but you read Psalm 2, and Psalm 2 is the Father speaking over the Son the promises of his future, that he will make the nations his heritage. It's as though in this moment he is again reaching down from heaven, descending like a dove, touch on his son, words over his son. I am I'm pleased with you. You are beloved in my sight, and this is your future. The nations will be yours as an inheritance. You will rule and reign over them, and the people of the earth must kiss the son or be dashed. That's Psalm 2 language. And at Jesus' baptism, all this is happening. The blessing of the Father is happening over Jesus the Son. Jesus as the Son has the blessing of the Father. Jesus as the Son has the approval of the Father. Jesus as the Son has the identity of the Father. Jesus as the Son has the destiny of his Father. And Paul says, in the Son, in Christ, you have the same thing. This is the blessing of the Father offered through Jesus to you. And you may not have received it from your earthly father, You may not have ever received the touch that you desired. You may not have received the affirmation or the blessing that you desired. You may have had a father that left you with wounds or a mother that left you with scars. You may have had a family that deformed your identity. And yet God in Christ is saying to you, I have something better for you. I have an offer for you that is beautiful. I have identity for you, my son, my daughter. I have destiny for you, my son, my daughter. I have purpose for you. You are not meaningless. You are not worthless. You are not cast off. You are not forgotten. I have something for you because of Jesus. Again, back to, I'm bouncing here. Ephesians 1 can we go? Ephesians 1.4, we've been chosen. Ephesians 1.5, we've been adopted as sons. Ephesians 1.6, we've been blessed in the beloved son. Verse 7, we've been redeemed. Verse 8, we have had wisdom and insight lavished upon us. Verse 11, we have an inheritance. Verse 12, we've been given the promised Holy Spirit as a down payment and guarantee of God's work that will never be taken away. This is the the weight of what Paul is trying to grab, all these stories and all this imagery together to say, in Christ you have the Father's blessing. In Christ you have the Father's love. In Christ you have the Father declaring you to be accepted and beloved, proud of you, identity and destiny. Here's what I know to be true, though. You can have a hot-headed preacher preach at you all day about this, and it can bounce around your head. Sometimes. Sometimes we need someone else to physically stand near us and touch us and speak to us and look us in the eye and remind us of what is actually true. 
this last week, I had a couple friends. We invited them to celebrate for Callie and I being here for 15 years. And it's just a small little crew. And we got together, and they wrote a blessing to us. And they scooted up next to us, awkwardly so, really close. And they read their blessings face to face and eye to eye. And they spoke words that were true to us. In some ways, it was a little, it was a little piece of the ceremony that I never got when I was first ordained, of someone reminding me who I am and reminding me the worth that I have. And sometimes we just need another person to look us in the eye and hold our hand and put their shoulder, hand on our shoulder and speak things that are true. And so today, uh, I want to offer that to you. To anyone in the room today who is just trying to settle those questions of identity and destiny. And maybe you hear the words of your dad or your mom really loud in your head. Those things that have left wounds and marks in your soul. And you need someone to speak over you. What is theologically true in Jesus. But maybe you need to have someone hold your hand and look you in the eye. Because God's desire for you is for you not to be left like Esau saying, what? Am I left out of this? I was just out, I was just outside hunting. What about me too? Whether today you're someone who does not yet know Jesus, maybe today would be a day that he would invite you to come to believe in him by faith, to say yes to him, to receive forgiveness and grace for him. Or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years but the voices from the past are so loud that those questions are still live to you. You need someone to bless you today. We'd love to bless you. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. Tom and Hillary will come back up and lead us in some songs. We're going to take communion. But I invite you, it may be awkward, I invite you to come up to the front. It's not because it's more holy 20 feet that way but sometimes it takes a little bit of putting your body in action to respond to what God may be trying to say to you. We'd love to bless you, to remind you of the blessing that already has been given through Jesus from the Father. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my friends in the room. And some are here out of habit Some aren't quite sure why they're here. Maybe some are here earnestly desiring to seek you, to know you, to follow you. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your actions and, Father, your voice is louder and can be louder than the voices of our earthly parents, the wounds of the past. And that you haven't destined us just to spin our wheels in job and school and degrees and money, homes and cars, possessions and stuff. 
seeking to somehow answer the deeper questions of our lives, but you have offered us something better in Jesus to be a part of a greater family with a perfect father and words of blessing over our life. So would you bring healing, God, even today in simple acts of faith, simple words of prayer, simple touches in your name. May you continue your work of healing that you're doing among us. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.